Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Well, today we have former professional baseball player, coach, and scout Rico Joseph Branya. He played in the MLB for the Detroit Tigers, Philadelphia Phillies, Boston Red Sox, the Atlanta Braves, and New York Edge's partner, the New York Mets. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Cadell from MS581K. Cadell, welcome. I'm so happy that you're co-hosting today. And can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your school and the things you love to do? Yeah, my name is Cadell Porter. I'm a seventh grader going to eighth grade. What I like to do, I like to just enjoy my day, just chill at home or just play video games or do some outside sports activities like football or basketball. Okay, so Kadel, we have a very exciting guest on today's show. Are you excited about interviewing today's guest? Yes. And can you tell me why? Considering the fact that this is my first time interviewing, I'm amazed by the fact that I got asked to do this, so I'm excited. <laughs> We're excited that you're here. So Rico, welcome to today's show. Well, thanks for having me, Kadel. Awesome. I'm excited to talk with you, and thanks, Rachel. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Great. And I just want to say we're grateful. The Mets are a a great partner for New York Edge. And so um, we are a Queens-based organization and Mets all the way to and through. So thanks for being here. All right, Cadell, you want to take it away? I read that you hit the first ever home run at the Colorado Rockies new stadium, Coors Field, on its opening day. Tell me what that felt like for you. Amazing. Everyone's firing me the YouTube clip. I play it over and over again every time I get it. So it's, it's, it makes me feel good now, more so now that it did that. But it's amazing because to do something first is the only time it, it could be done. A first is a first. I wish I could have had a, maybe a World Series ring or anything. But other than that, it was one of my favorite moments as a player. Absolutely. Very cool. Rico, as somebody who lived in Colorado before returning to New York, when you hit that home run... Did the altitude have any impact? Absolutely. It really did. So honest to God's truth, because when I hit it, a 3-2 sinker off of Billy Swift, I thought I hit it really well, but really maybe be a double. I thought it might have a chance to get over the center fielder's head. And at the time, we had no experience with Colorado in the air. You know, the air is so thin, it doesn't slow the ball down. The ball just keeps traveling. And there was no humidor or anything back then, so the balls really just took off. It definitely helped, to be honest with you. I might have hit it hard enough, but I didn't think it had the, the upward trajectory, if that's the right way to say it. It was more of a line, like a low-line drive that just kept going. A friend of mine has the ball, so he's still he's not far away from me here in Connecticut, and he, he reminds me I gave him the ball after the game. Very cool moment, though. That's amazing. Cadell, just so you know, most athletes, when they come to Colorado, they have to take oxygen because the air quality is different in Denver than it is here in New York. So it's a different experience for athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Kendall, you play football? Yeah. The football players, probably a little bit more than the, and then the basketball players too, more than the baseball. They literally sit on the sidelines with their oxygen. They can't breathe. You're in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains or the foothills of them. So the air is really thin. So what Rachel's saying is so true. When you hit a ball good, there's not much air. So the ball just keeps, you know, it just takes off. So if you're a quarterback, you throw it 80 yards when you normally throw it 50. 
I was pretty lucky to hit it there. <laughs> it helped me. It's like the wind blowing home run. I was aided by the thin air. I'll take it though. What position are you playing football? I play quarterback, wide receiver. I probably I could probably play anything. So you could do whatever they need you to do. Yeah. What do you like the best? Just wide receiver. Yeah. Like, okay. I feel like it's the most selfish position, but the position wide receiver, the people that play it just we just get the job done. We score, we execute, we just do what we have to do. Playmaker out there, huh? Wide receiver playmaker. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, that's playmaking spot right there. You said selfless, I think. What a great answer. Because you got to run your route, even if the quarterback may not throw it to you. You got to run your route so that the defense respects it. And that's hard. Thank you for that, Rico. You played baseball, basketball, and football. Your intentions were to play quarterback for Clemson University in South Carolina. But ultimately, you had a career in baseball. My question is, why baseball? I don't know, except to say that I miss playing football terribly. It's my favorite sport still. So I've gone back and coached in high school and college, and I really love football. And we have practice tomorrow night, and I'm going to volunteer at a local high school. So I can't wait. I think the best answer, Cadell, was that I was surprised I was picked in the first round, MLB, in the draft. So I signed a letter of intent, which is like a contract for a college athlete. I signed a letter of intent to play at Clemson full scholarship quarterback, and they've recruited me. It was a real deal. Calls every night, crazy recruiting. And at the time, they were very good. Top 10 teams. It's similar to, you know, now. They're very good again in recent years. And I was ready, set, go football. And then I got drafted in the first round for baseball. Totally took me by surprise. And it made me stop and think. And I think when I stopped and I slowed down, it was over. I was going to veer toward baseball because of being a first-round pick. Not the money not then was not even close. So it really wasn't even the money. So it was just more that they thought I could be their first round pick. Strong enough conviction in their own thinking as an organization, a major league team to pick me first, like their first pick out of all the players, you know, in the world, the country. And it's, yeah, I still can't really grasp it. Are you kidding me? I'm not, I didn't think I was like, no way. And that blew me off my feet. So when, as soon as I slowed down and started to think about it, that changed my mind. But ever since, Kay, man, I was thinking, I don't know, it would have been fun going for a national championship, NFL or something like that. Football in front of 80,000 fans every Saturday in the eighth, pretty cool. But no regrets. Obviously, I'm very humbled and happy by how it all happened. Okay. Rico, can you tell me a little bit more about your baseball career? It took me a long time to get to where I was an established major league player. I started when I was 18, went right to the minor leagues. As soon as I signed with Detroit, I went through, let's see, about three and a half, four seasons in the minor leagues before I made it, got called up to the big leagues in Detroit. So I was still young. I was 22 when I first got called up to the major leagues. I'm grateful for that, but I was not ready. (laughs) Was not ready. I might've had some raw talent, some ability, but I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the experience. I did something wrong every day. I couldn't put my uniform on right. I was too early. I was too late to get in the field or why are you out here so early in the field? You still got another half hour. My settings were off at the big league to be a big league. I might've had the ability, but it was going to take a while. So that's really a story of it is that it taught me how to work hard. 
and never take it for granted. And that when I got sent back to the minor leagues, because I was not doing well, that was a wake up call that I needed. Instead of thinking, oh, I'm this 22 year old, I can make it in the big leagues. I'm 22, you know, nothing, no stopping me now. It was like, whoa, no, there was a lot stopping me. And I had a lot to learn. And I got beat up physically, mentally. The manager of my team, who was a legendary manager, Spark Anderson, has since passed away. Because when I played for him, he was already older. He was so mad at me in one game in the first week for me making a silly mistake that he had a water cup, like a little Gatorade paper cup. And he started, he was shaking as he was telling me what I did wrong. I'm, Bronya, come sit next to me. You know, one of those. And I'm like, okay. And he's shaking the water, shaking his hand. I'm like, does he have a physical problem or is he mad? And I'm like, I think he's mad. And by the end of the conversation, which only lasted about 10 seconds, I had the water on me, none in his cup. <laughs> so he emptied it on me. He made it look like an accident, but it was no accident. I made a lot of mistakes, but it really was for me the best way to learn. Which team did you really enjoy playing for and why? If Jay Horowitz and New York Mets is listening to this, Jay was the New York Mets. If Terry Francona is listening to this, he was my manager in Philadelphia. It was the Phillies. And I played for other teams too. So I'd say every team I played for at the time was a time of my life. But that being said, the time I spent in Philly, I was there for four years. And it was the one place, although New York was close. I spent almost three seasons in New York with so many great people. And it's so exciting to play in New York. But uh, honestly, not to hedge it and get caught and sit on fence, Philly, I felt like a family. Four years, kind of had the same team for four years, more or less. Had the same manager and Terry Francona. We were all young and we were all growing together as a team. We were bad. We got better. And then we were really good at the end of those four years, challenging the Braves for the division and the Mets. Those four years in Philly – I could have played there for 10 or 20 and been so happy. Love living there. The people were awesome. Just good. Northeast is awesome. Boston, New York, Philly. I mean, the best food, the best people, the best fans. They push you. You're not, oh, great job. You know, if you're doing, not doing well, they let you know, especially in Philly. When I first got there, one, I remember a, a season ticket holder a lady said to me, you know, we're tough fans. And I said, oh, I know. I played here when I was with the Mets. I heard the booze playing for the Mets coming to Philly. And she said, no, we're tougher on our own players. I said, you are? I'm like, that's crazy. What do you mean? She goes, we even booed Santa Claus. And Santa Claus, I guess, is they're, they're famous for that. I guess he came right around the stadium at a Philadelphia Eagles game or something. And there's snow in the stands. And they were pelting Santa Claus with snowballs as he rode around the field. Whoever it was was getting hit by snowballs and getting booed and yelled at and cursed at. Tough fans. They hold you accountable. So that's okay. I can still name the entire 1980s Philadelphia Phillies team. I got in this big debate with somebody that Pete Rose played for the Phillies, that he played for space for the Phillies. Larry Boa, (laughs) Gary Maddox, the whole team. Yeah. Yep. You can name them, right? That's Philly right there. That's why I loved it. Do you like Pat's cheesesteak or Geno's? Be very political there. (laughs) Because <laughs> if I go back to both, Pats was the first one I had. Pats was awesome. But I can't go wrong. That's sitting on a fence right there. But so it was like after every day game, we were at home. What what Italian restaurant are we going to go? Or are we going to go get a cheesesteak? Obviously, that was a home run. No pun intended. But 
Yeah, it was right there in South Philly. It was great. Love Philly. Okay, Rico, I feel like I have this hard question for you, considering the fact that there's a bunch of all-time greats in the MLB. So who is one of your favorite all-time favorite baseball player and why? Wow. Okay, so Don Mattingly, I'd say was like my favorite baseball player growing up with the first baseman for the New York Yankees. Carlton Fisk, his nickname was Pudge. He was a catcher for the Boston Red Sox in 1975. I was born in 1970. So my first maybe baseball memory was 1975 when he hit a walk-off extra inning game, winning home run in the sixth game of the World Series against the Cincinnati Reds to send it into the seventh and final game the next night in Boston. My family's from Boston, so I have to put a little context behind it. That's a lot of the context, really, because my dad and everything from the city of Boston. So I was a big Red Sox fan growing up. That moment was my first moment, baseball really memory, amazing one. So Carlton Fisk, whom I, I got to meet later on when I played for the Red Sox, he heard me say that. He was one of my favorite players growing up. I said it on an interview in Boston. And the next day, Carlton Fisk walked in, heard me say that, and he wanted to come. So, I mean, come on, are you kidding me? I'm like, this is fantasy and this is Disney World. This is not happening. Thank you for that information, Rico. Do you consider yourself a top 25 all-time when it comes to your position? Top 25? I'm not a top 25 anything. <laughs> I'm a top 25 struck out the most times in a season kind of guy. You know, 150 strikeouts a season. But uh, I like to think I did a, well pretty well, but probably a lot better than I actually thought I might ever do. To put up the real honest poster for a second, I thought I was going to be the greatest player ever. I had this big cocky ego growing up. Maybe I needed to have it to try to make it, but I really did think that there was no one better than me. There's going to be no one better than me. I'm better than them all. And then I got hit over the head. I just started getting beat up mentally and physically and realized pretty quickly that I was not going to be like some of these other amazing players. The superstar baseball players, I'm like playing against Barry Bonds going, this guy is not real. I mean, it's just, he is so good. There should be another league for players like that. Rico, what do you feel is one of your greatest accomplishments of your career? Okay, that's a great question, Kadell. I don't know. Making it. Making it to the major leagues. Because you can make it to the minor leagues as hard as that is. Making it to the big leagues where there's about eight or 900 players every year in the world that play at that level, that's not even a piece of sand on a beach near the ocean. That's just 900 is nothing. It's so minuscule. Just making it is an accomplishment that I can't still believe happens. Nothing really individually. I had some cool moments. What you brought up about Colorado. Cool. I mean, great. I walk off home run for the Red Sox, walk off Grand Slam with Boston. Awesome. Amazing. But sports to me is about the team. If you play a if it's a team sport like baseball, personal achievements are fine, but nothing like team success. You started your career as a baseball player, and it seems that you have gone full circle by coaching football. Why the switch? I love coaching young athletes especially because there's so much that they can learn and then on, on the flip side 
I learned so much by being around young athletes could be about the latest technology or the latest music to listen to, or just the kind of the new cool words or slang they use that keeps me young. And I realize two things that there's always new ways to teach and coaching is teaching. I think essentially coaching and teaching will always be the same, even though there's always seems to be new methods and new ways and visual learners and this kind of learner and that. And I love learning all those different things, but at the end of the day, you have to have a willing teacher that teaches something correctly and right and knows how to do it. And then a willing learner, but you got to have a, a relationship. If you're talking to a tackle and left tackle that doesn't want to learn how to pass pro or pull and trap, they kind of do, but not really. You know, you have to have two willing people. Amazing answer, Rico. Which do you like better playing the sport, scouting for the sport or coaching? So playing scouting or coaching, nothing is better than playing. And nothing's really close. I mean, so playing is the best. So I'm excited for you because you're starting your, the beginning of your athletic journey. And that is so much fun. Middle school, high school, college, pro, there's nothing better than playing. The adrenaline, the excitement, the hard work, the pain, the agony, the thrills, the emotional roller coasters, you experience them in everything you do, but playing and experiencing them is a whole nother level. Awesome. Coaching and scouting, I've learned over the last what, however many years in recent history of my journey that they're almost the same where I use them both together in Major League Baseball. I learned how to scout before I became Major League Coach or a minor league manager that I did for a few years also. And the scouting foundation taught me a lot. I played for a long time. So, you know, I think I know a lot about playing. I can manage. I can coach. When I was learning how to scout, I'm like, I mean, I don't. It's all new to me because in the pros, it's all about the players. It's not about the coach. Players just want to know, how can you help me? I want to get to the big leagues. So what can a coach do to help me? And that's fair. So I just want to learn what scouts look at, look for, and then translate that into being a better coach, which it definitely did. So they're kind of together for me. Nothing like playing. Okay. I mean, the best ever. You got to enjoy every day. Playing is the best. What advice would you give to kids who are interested in playing professional sports? Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I remember my daughter sitting at the table. One day she told me about her path that she was dreaming about doing, and it led to the Olympics. So the Olympics was her pro sports in horse ride equestrian. And she asked me, what about school? Can I take a year off? Can I do this? I just said the same thing to her. I said, go for it. Go for it. In life, I mean, you got one shot. Or you don't. You might have more than one shot. Don't get me. But I'm saying, like, this is our lifetime here, and you got a dream, and it's on your heart. You think you can accomplish it? You're ready to work hard to try to do it. I think that's exactly what I told her. I would say the same thing to you, Kay. Any athlete, go for it. But, and I would say, comma, be the best team player you can be on that journey. Go for it if you think you can do it. You know, you think you can put in the time and train right, eat right, focus right everything. Got to go for it, man. I mean, I love that part of life. Dream and do it. Okay, Rico. Um, You went through a lot in your career physically, and I'm sure mentally. How were you able to keep yourself going to overcome such obstacles? Hmm. That's the heart of the matter. 
I don't know because I have an arthritic disease that doesn't have a cure and very few people have it. It's very rare. I never really want to talk about it because I don't want to feel like I was making excuses. I was out there, so I was just like everybody else. But man, there were days when I couldn't walk, couldn't sit, had to have my wife tie my shoes in the, to go to the ballpark. I, I don't know how I'm going to take this next at bat. I don't know how I'm going to play tonight. I started taking injections in my body just to get out there. At the end of my career, that's when I knew it was over. I had to stop. But I'd take medicine from the doctors and all that, trying to get me ready to play. But I knew that was going to be hurting me later in life. So I was like, I think I should retire. And that's the best way to answer it is I just don't know. It was hard from the beginning, the middle, and the end was crazy because I already had like, you know, four, five, six knee surgeries, four shoulder surgeries, arthritic condition, broken wrist, broken forearm, broken toes. I'm already slow, but now I was really slow <laughs> because I'm just beat up. But there's a game tonight and I want to play in it. And then we have about 155 more games this season and I want to play in all of them. So... I have no idea how I did it. I mean, I'm a Christian, so I believe that God has, there was something, some blessing there that made me do something I wasn't capable of doing because I'm not, I don't know how I was able to. I learned how to eat better, really learned how to train better. I needed more muscles to support my body's structure. So I trained like crazy and I started to eat better. I was not a good eater. I started to eat better. I started to just drink water. That's one positive that came out of my fighting injuries and health obstacles was I learned how to train better, diet better, prepare better, all that. Okay, Rico. Through all of your careers, when it comes to football and baseball, what advice would you give to someone who wants to give up? Take the next step. Because it gets daunting and hard when you start thinking about 10 steps out tomorrow, next week. I can't make it. The other person's too good. The other team's too good. Won't happen. I'm not good enough. All the, the doubts that come into every pro athlete's mind and heart all the time. I was, was nervous every day. Now, listen, I've given up on things before, so I'm not preaching like I never quit. I stopped doing things that I wish I hadn't done, and I regret the things that I didn't finish in any part of my life outside of sports even. So that regret is a reason to just go back and just to tell someone not to quit because you're going to feel like Ugh, later on about it. But, you know, my only suggestion, I didn't quit in baseball. I was close a lot of times. You know, thank God I didn't. But I just took the next step and then the next step. Small increments. All right, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to do my early work. I'll do some extra hitting. I'll do a little extra practice. But I don't really don't want it right now. But tomorrow when I wake up, I'll sleep on it. Well, that's a piece of advice my dad always gave me when I had a bad something, bad game, bad day, whatever. Don't make a decision yet. Just sleep on it. Sleep on it. That time, that rest. Think about it tomorrow. Don't make a decision while you're emotional about it. So thank God for my dad telling me that. And just take the next step. It's the best advice I could give. Other than that, it's real, man. It's hard. Struggles are hard. There's something else I can do or try to do. It'd be easy to go there. And I've done that. I'm guilty of that. But not in baseball. I took the next step there. And thank God, God gave me the strength to go to the next step. Cadet, do you have any other questions, hon? No, Rachel, I don't. I'm done. 
Rico, this has just been a great, great interview. So thank you so much. And we're so grateful to you for being on the show. We ask our guests, same question as we wrap up the show. If you could give advice to your 13-year-old self, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give? If you can dream it, try it. And you can see it, try it. You know, there's something about that seeing it. I think that it's real. If you can dream it and see it, visualize it, go for it. Because that might be God talking to me or however you interpret that. We can do that. If we got a dream and we can see it, we can try it. Go for it. Yep. Well, Rico, it was such a pleasure. And we really appreciate you taking the time out to be on this show. So thank you so very much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. God bless. And thank you for having me again. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Kay Dell from MSK 581 in Brooklyn. He was assisted by Nichelle Haynes-Trant. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by David Hoffman and Tasha Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org formative or wherever you get your podcasts.